long, isn't it, Phil? My cup, Lord. And uh, it's always important for us to allow him to fill us with his goodness and his greatness each and every day of our lives. We have been studying the book of Jonah on Sunday night. Three times we looked at the first chapter. And of course, as you remember, Jonah is now about to be released from the belly of the great fish. And um, he was told by God to go to a place called Nineveh, and he goes to Tarshish, just the opposite direction. And as he is doing this, God sends this storm and says, you will not go to that place. You're going to go where I want you to go. And so uh, we find that the storm becomes more and more tempestuous is the word that we have here. And Jonah comes to the place where sailors say, well, we can't handle it. We will do what you want, and we'll throw him overboard. And sure enough, they do, and he is now in the belly of the great fish. Bad days. Boy, you talk about a bad day. Isn't this a bad day? Find yourself in, a, in the welly of a, and I hate to keep wanting to call it a whale, but it's a great fish, so we always need to keep that in view. I remember a while ago I read this man who was having a tough day. You may have already heard this, but I'm going to read it to you anyway, so you'll just have to listen one more time. It's about a man who is making an insurance claim, and uh, he really had a bad day. He is um, all bruised and bandaged, and he is now writing down his experience on the uh, form for the insurance company. And here's what he says. When I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked off some bricks around the top. So I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. Then I went to the bottom, began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I am, or I was. And before I knew it, what was happening, the barrel started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on since I was too far off the ground by then to jump, and halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder. I then continued to the top, banging my head against the beam, getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulleys. When the barrel hit the hard ground, it burst the bottom, allowing the bricks to spill out. I was now heavier than the barrel, so I started down again at high speed. Halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received severe injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on a pile of, br of spilt bricks, getting several painful cuts and deep bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of my grip on the line and the barrel came down fast, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. I respectfully request sick leave. Bad day, right? Tough day. And I'm sure you've had those kind of days in your life that are bad days and very, very difficult days for you to live. And and we find that Jonah is having one of those bad days. He is down, no doubt about it. And you know, history is full of people who were down and then came back. I was reading, I'm reading a biography of uh, Abraham Lincoln. And it says that he was defeated six times before he finally won. 
Well, that's a lot of being down, isn't it? Before he finally became, I think it was the president at that point. He might have been a senator first, but the president. So he was down many times before he finally won the office that he was looking for. And you know, God, again, our theme for Jonah is this. God is more concerned about the worker than he is the work. It's always true. <clears throat> He's concerned about you and I. He's concerned about what goes on in our lives. And we find that he will get his will accomplished. But he uses us. He uses you and I as individuals to accomplish that will. It's a part of who he is. It took Jonah, and we don't know when he, well, you know it's three days. We know that it took three days for Jonah to finally learn some lessons. I would assume that he spent two days probably in stubborn rebellion against God. I don't know. I don't have this on the authority of Scripture. But on some kind of stubborn rebellion, and finally, he decides that he's going to pray and ask God to release him from this time. And so finally, Jonah prays. After all this time in the belly of the fish, he prays. The lesson tonight of God's pardon is for us to see how great God's pardon is. And he wants God, but many times after pardon, we find that people only want God in times of emergency. Isn't that so true? It really is the story of Jonah. He only wants God in a time of emergency. Things are rough. They don't really want God all the time, just enough to make him feel good. Enough to get by the certain situations. And this prayer of Jonah is one of, or I would say it this way. How would you like for your deepest prayer of your soul to be recorded for people to read for all times? This is a time when he is in agony and he's pouring out his heart before God. And it's all recorded for us so that we can read it and understand what's going on. <clears throat> because God had prepared a fish to swallow Jonah. And now, Jonah, we find, from this point, is ready to die rather than do God's will. Many times that is a picture of individuals who claim to be Christians. You know, I just as soon die as do God's will. God says, no, you're not going to die. You're going to do my will. And I'm going to make it, I'm going to make you... I want to make you ready to do the will that I have. And so tonight we want to look at this prayer in four parts. We're going to ask ourselves some questions that I trust we can answer as we work our way down through this passage. Four things I want you to see. First of all, the setting is found in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 of Jonah. <clears throat> and the first question that I want to ask you under the setting is this. When did he pray? And verse 1 tells us when he prayed. And the answer is, in distress. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. I would say that is distress, wouldn't you? He is in distress. Jonah had not prayed till this time. The whole first chapter, the storm, all the other people are asking him to pray. He's not prayed to this point. And now we find that he is going to pray as he finds himself in this belly of this great fish. He realized that God is going to do something with him. And so he finally calls out to God. You know, the idea again is, we said earlier, that he would rather die than do what God says. I do not want to do God's will. I am going to do things my own way. But now he's in an emergency. Things are happening. And he prays. Isn't that the way it works? So many times people don't pray until they find themselves in an emergency. Time of severe difficulty. 
And we all know that individuals who will pray only when they find themselves where? In the fish's belly. They refuse to that point. But God says, you're going to turn to me. I'm going to continue until you do. And so we find that he now finds himself in prayer. I wonder, what will it take to get some Christians to pray? You ever think about that? I wonder what it will take for some Christians to pray in their state of rebellion that they find themselves in. Well, I trust that God doesn't have to put you in the fish's belly before you decide that you need to pray. He prays in distress. To whom does he pray? Verses 2 and 3, he prays to his God, doesn't he? Would be the answer to that question. And said, I cried by reason of my affliction. Now notice, not affection, but affliction. Unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou didst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. He said, I cried by reason of my affliction. You have placed me under affliction, God, and I am now praying for him. He was in a covenant relationship with a personal God. That's what the idea is here, even the word Lord. You see it with the capital letters. And he was in that personal relationship with him. Jonah had forsaken God, but God had not forsaken Jonah. Isn't that great? He still is there. He still is working in his life. God never forsakes his children. What a promise that is for you and I tonight, to know that God never forsakes us. His mercy and his grace are always there for us. He's always there to encourage us. And so he never forsakes his children. And even though we from time to time, and maybe we're like Jonah, we forsake him. He is never going to forsake us. And that's a great promise that you and I can depend on and cling to. God had cast him into the deep to learn some great lessons. And Jonah has to learn those lessons. And they have to be taught to him. Hebrews chapter 12 talk about those lessons that God has to teach us, and he teaches us many times through chastening. And he chastens us because he loves us. He chastens us because he's concerned about us. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, we find that, you know, there are several options whenever God chastens us. Uh, we can despise his discipline. We can fight against God. You know, verse 5, that's basically what Jonah is doing. You know, he's, he, he says, the weeds are wrapped around my head. They're closed around me. He's probably fighting against God and what God would have him to do. Or we can become discouraged and we can faint. And that's also verse 5. Jonah is discouraged and he's going to faint at this point. And sometimes in God's discipline, we can find ourselves in that same situation. Or we can submit to God's love and we can have that faith and love that he can only give to us. Verse 7 will tell us that whenever he says, I remembered the Lord. And so there's two different ways that you and, I, <clears throat> you and I can respond to the chastening of God. We can 
get upset. We can say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to resist it. I'm going to get discouraged. Or we can submit ourselves and allow God to work in our hearts. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us. Tonight, how do you respond to the chastening of God in your life? Does it make you rebellious? Say, well, I'm just going to resist that. Trust it brings you closer to Him. And you allow Him to come closer to Him. We find that there is a sin unto death. That's a subject that we don't many times like to deal with, but it is found in Scripture. Sin unto death is whenever God gives up on us. And it would be sort of a believer who says, you know, I'm going to rebel God. I'm going to do things my way. He's going to continue on that path no matter what happens. And it can happen to a believer. None of us know when. None of us have that kind of information and knowledge. But it truly is a warning that we need to be careful that we are not ones who are allowing sins to come into our lives and then harboring them and then not doing anything about those sins. So we need to understand that. We find that God could not hear him in his sin, so he had to deal with that sin. You know, he has to confess that sin. Then God can answer him. We need to confess our sins before God, and we need to allow him to understand or to put ourselves at his, at his beck and call. And so he says, verse 4, For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, the floods compassed me about, and all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. And so, to whom did he pray? Pray to his God. After the setting, we find the supplication. Verses 4 through 7, <clears throat> he is now going to give the words of this supplication as he prays. And I would ask the question in verses 4 through 6, when or what did he pray? Well, he's praying for God's forgiveness would be the answer to that question. He wants God's forgiveness in his life, and that's always a very appropriate subject for us to pray for, the forgiveness of God. And it says in verses 4 through 6, When I said, I will cast out thy sight, yet I will look again unto thy holy temple. So he is now focused upon God where he would reside. The waters, campused, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. What a picture. There he is in the belly of that great fish, and there's water all around, and there's seaweed that's constantly around him. And he's involved in this kind of a situation because of his rebellion against God. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought my life from corruption. O Lord, my God. Notice that affirmation of his faith. O Lord, my God. In these verses, verses 4 through 6, the interesting observation is that Jonah really has no original thought. Everything that he says is from Psalms. Seven different quotes that are coming from six different Psalms. This man knows his scripture. He knows his Bible. He's a prophet, remember? We found earlier that he was involved in ministry back in 2 Kings. And so he knows how to minister, and yet as he is in this situation, he is using scripture to beseech God. And as he is doing this, he is constantly turning these things over. You know, it's just not enough to know Scripture, is it? You've got to practice it. And you know, it's important for us to realize that, yes, Scripture is a great thing for us to know. 
And I've never, I would never discourage anybody from memorizing Scripture in their life. But there's more to it than just memorization. There has to be some practice that's put into this. We have to make it a part of us. We have to assimilate it into our lives and make it the way that we think and what we do. And so you know, here he is with all of this information about what's going on, and yet he really has not practiced what he knows to be right. It's a sad situation. He looks to the temple. You know, he's as far down as he can get. I think that's what you see in verse 6. You have brought my life from corruption. Uh, there's an argument whether he died or not. You know, we don't even want to deal with that. Probably not as far as I'm concerned. But he's as low as he can get. He's as far down as he can get. And now he's going to look to his holy temple. And, you know, sometimes a person, a believer even, has to bottom out before he'll repent. It's not a pleasant thought to think about. We have to go to the very far reaches of the depths in order to finally, for God to get our attention. And here we find that, you know, he's in the point where he is bottomed out. He is in the depths of corruption. And he finally, as he is there and he finally comes to the end of himself, it's now time for him to repent. It's been a long road downward. I mean, he started off finding a ship to take him the wrong direction. And of course, we said that, you know, if uh, you go the wrong way, Satan will always find a ship for you. And he's continued to move down constantly. And he's paid the fare, been in the sides, been into the storm ready to die, been there for three days at least, and now he's finally at the point where he says, you know, I'd better understand what God is doing with me and to me and get this thing taken care of. He looked at the temple. When we run from God, we're always going down, aren't we? When we're moving away from God, we're always going down, and we have to come to the end of ourselves. Many times God has to bring us to the end of our pride. He has to bring us to the end of who we are, so we can look to him and ask for his forgiveness and his grace in our lives. And that's Jonah is at that point. He is as far down as he can go. He is around in, uh, in the corruption of his soul. And now he is calling out upon God. He finally gets to that place of understanding that what he's praying for is God's forgiveness in his life. And he must have that in order to survive. After that, who did he remember? Verse 7 would be the next question. He remembered the Lord, didn't he, in verse 7? When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee in thy holy temple. He remembers the Lord. It's great to have the blessings of forgiveness, a right relationship restored with God. Blessing to have that sweetness of fellowship once again back in our lives. It's great to be able to say that we know who He is and what He's doing in our hearts. This relationship has now been restored. He's now back with God. He says, I remembered the Lord. Now, the argument again is, is whether it's a true confession or not. Probably not from what the end of the book says. But at least he is moving to that point where he's saying, God, forgive me. I'm sorry for what I've done. And we find that uh, he is now trying to at least have that right relationship restored back to God. You know, we need that right relationship constantly. We need to be in the place where God can bless us. God can work in our hearts and our lives. 
We need to be in that place where God can use us on this daily basis. But you know, there are consequences, aren't there, to our sins? David and Bathsheba always comes to mind. The whole problem then becomes the son who dies, and then you have the family problems with Absalom. Galatians states, we reap what we sow. You know, it's so true. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap the flesh. If we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap the Spirit. And we do reap what we sow. We are ones who have ourselves in a position where whenever we do these things, there are going to be the consequences that happens because of the sin that's a part of our lives. He remembers God. He remembers Him, it says in verse 7. I remember the Lord. He remembers His mercy. He remembers His forgiveness. Wouldn't it have been a lot better to repent at the ticket booth to Tarshish than in the belly of the whale or the fish? Wouldn't it, have been so, wouldn't it have made so much more sense and be so much more easy if he would just simply have come to that place when he's running from God and running against him to say, I'm sorry, God, and repent at that point instead of finding himself in this terrible place of destruction in the, in the belly of this great fish. We find that he was one who Failed to repent, and now God has to bring him to a full circle of where he's at and what's going on. Submission, I'm sorry, setting, supplication, and submission would be our third word in verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9, we find that we have to, he had to submit himself, and there's two things I want you to notice, two questions I want to ask in verses 8 and 9. The first question is this, what did he forsake? And uh, we find that this submission is the fact that he forsook lying vanities. He got rid of them out of his life. It says, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. You know, if you cling to worthless idols, we will lose God's will. When we get out of God's will, we believe a lie. And that's what he's talking about here with these lying vanities, believing things that are not true. Believing things that no, have no, no, no anchor in, in reality. And as Jonah is moving away from God, and as he has now come to this point of confession, he realizes that he has lost sight of God and who he is. And, and he says, I need to understand that I need to forget about these lying vanities. He confessed his sin. Everyone, everybody else has been praying. Up to this point. I mean, the sailors have been praying. They've been sacrificing and throwing things off. Everybody's been praying except Jonah. Remember, he's sleeping the side of the ship. Now he's finally coming to that place where he's praying and telling God, you know, I've done wrong. He has, he has now, he has been forsaking prayer and believing a lie. Now he's coming to that place where he's going to understand who God is. After what did he forsake, what did he do? Verse 9, and the word here would be sacrifice. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. It's a great verse. One of the classic verses of the book of Jonah. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah could have, could have a sacrifice of praise from the belly of a fish. Think about that. He could have a sacrifice of praise from the belly of a fish. Surely we can offer praise in our distresses. I don't think anybody tonight in our room has ever been in that kind of a circumstance. 
so we can be ones who understand that if he could sacrifice praise to God, you and I can also have that sacrifice of praise in our distresses. No place do I find Jonah asking for deliverance. He's not even asking for deliverance here. We need to be able to praise God in difficult circumstances. And I'm sure all of us have been through difficult times, times of extreme problems, whatever they may be. And we need to be able to worship Him even when the circumstances continue on and have, seem to have no relief. When the circumstances seem to pile up and pile on top of us, we need to be able to praise God. He is praising God and He's still in the belly of the great fish. He's not been delivered yet. And he's able to praise God at this point. And he's not asking for deliverance. He's getting his relationship back, it would seem, at this point. We need to give up on self-pity. Elijah is a prime example of that. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, he, he's, in the, he's in, the, in, the, in the woes of self-pity. Oh, you know, woe is me. Everybody, you know, I'm the only one left. And, and everybody has forsaken God, and he has that time of depression. We find that uh, we have to give up on self-pity. We, we need to allow God to unlock the doors of his blessings in our lives. Trust you've done that. Allow him to, to put you in the right position with him. Sacrifice is part of our being right with God. It costs us something to be in the will of God. If you're going to be in God's will tonight, it's going to cost you something. It's going to have to have something. Because it doesn't just happen. It takes something from us. And so whenever we're in God's will, there's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be something that we have to get rid of or we have to lay before Him in this world in which we are alive today. When we walk by faith, we can give thanks. No matter what circumstances are. We may not walk by faith. We need to be individuals who walk by faith. Have faith is our number one goal of life. And when we do that, we can praise Him no matter circumstances. Circumstances no longer get to... Philippians is a book that talks about that, one of the chapters. But we are ones who don't allow circumstances to undo us. Well, here He is. The circumstances are great. The belly of a great fish. And we find that He is one who is walking by faith in Jesus Christ. If we walk by sight... We can only praise Him during good times when things are going well. But if we walk by faith, we can praise Him at all times, no matter circumstances. If we walk by sight, what we can see, then, you know, we sort of pick and choose. We only take the things that we like, and we only live our lives that way. So you and I must walk by faith. We must be individuals who are walking by faith. I will sacrifice. Notice that? Definite. This is the first time he's praised God in this book. This is the first time that he has done anything that is even related to God. I will praise, I will sacrifice. I will give him that position that he deserves. I will pay what I have vowed. I will return to the place that God can use me. Isn't that a great place to be? A place where God can use us. The place where God can can move our lives at His beck and call, close to Him, so that as He is there, we are able to say, Lord, you know, we love You, and we want You to be the one who gives to us the grace for each and every day. 
setting, supplication, submission, and probably the best word is solution, right? Verse 10, solution. It says, first of all, what did God do would be the question that I would ask. And first part of the verse, it says, he spoke to the fish. And the Lord spoke unto the fish. The fish obeyed. God speaks, the fish obeyed. And again, let me just repeat this. I've said it before. Everything in this book, everything in creation obeys God except Jonah. Every part of this book is filled with individuals, animals, worms, gourds, praising God except Jonah and obeying God except Jonah. Isn't that an amazing thing? The highest of the creation is that which is in rebellion against the almighty God of the universe. That's what we see. And this fish, when he speaks to it, it's going to obey him. So God speaks to the fish. God, had a special, God has a special way of bringing us to the point of saying, I'm in your hands, God. I want your goodness in my life. He has got Jonah at that point, isn't he? You know, he's going to now release him from this prison that he finds himself in. God has a special way of bringing us to that point in our lives also. Where did Jonah land? Well, last part of verse 10, he vomited him out upon dry land. He landed on dry land. The fish got rid of that which was not digestible. We don't want to be too graphic with all of this, but I think all of us have had those times in our lives. Not digestible. And I really love this quote I found. It says, a Christian out of God's will gives everybody problems, or we could say indigestion. You know, whenever a Christian is out of God's will, there's going to be problems. You see it all around you. You see it in people constantly. When they're not serving God, they cause problems to everybody. This fish followed God's, God's direction, and he vomits him out upon the dry ground. What, a, what, a, what an account this is. God's goodness and God's grace, graciousness in the life of Jonah. Let me end with five applications for you tonight from this section of Scripture that I think all are very significant and just a recapitulation of some of the points that we've had so far. First one is this. Jonah knew Scripture. Remember, he quotes seven times from the Psalms, but he was not heeding God's Word. He knew Scripture, but he was not heeding God's Word. The point is, you know, it's great to study, it's great to memorize, but it comes down to obedience, doesn't it? We must obey what God tells us. And it's important for us to be obedient. He knew so many Scriptures. He was able to do so many things, and yet he did not heed God's Word. And the exercise is great. Opportunities are great to be able to study and understand God's Word, but we need to practice it. Second application I would see is this. He is giving his will to God, but not his heart to God. That's an important part. As this book will unfold, we find that he will not give his heart to God. He will give his will, but God wants more than just our will. He wants our affection. He wants us. He wants us in total, everything about us. 
And yes, when you read chapter 4, we find that he's sitting and pouting because God doesn't destroy this nation. And even though he does go and preach, he does it in a very negative way in chapter 3. So he is one who God has broken him, but he still is holding back the stubborn rebellion against God and saying, I'm going to keep doing the things that, you know, that I, I mean, he's just, not, he's just not to the point where he's going to say, I'm completely and totally surrendered to you. Thirdly, there's going to be a great revival, chapter 3. Probably the greatest revival in all the history will be chapter 3. The city of Nineveh turns to Christ. Huge place. See, it's a, a three-day journey. You know, see if we, or I'm sorry, 40 days journey. He's, he's yelling out about this, uh, re, this revival. In this great revival, everybody is blessed except Jonah. Isn't that amazing? Everybody's blessed except Jonah. Because he sits down at the end and pouts about it. He sits there and says, well, God, what are you doing? You should have destroyed these people. And so here's a great revival, great spiritual time of, of, of awakenment. Jonah's the only one who's sad about it. You see what kind of a life this rebellious Christian will have. Number four, need to pray and confess our sins. If we're going to be used by God, we have to. There has to be confession. If God is going to use us, we must pray. We must confess. It's the only way God can use us. He is going to bring us to that point where we Break our, he breaks our heart before him and says, we are sorry for what we've done. I trust you've come to that point in your life. That it's salvation. But I trust you've come to that point in your life, in your Christian life, where you said, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, I want to be used by you. I want to confess my sins to you. I want to be in the place where I am usable in your sight. Last point of application, it's not on the screen, is this. <clears throat> How long will you stay in rebellion? Isn't that a haunting question? How long will you stay in rebellion? How long will you continue in that situation? It would have been so much better to repent at the ticket booth at Tarshish than in the belly of the fish. He was going to repent anyway. It just took a lot longer. It just took a lot more coercion by God's part to get him to this point. He would have been very, very... Important to him to repent whenever he first fled away in rebellion. And so tonight, you know, when are you going to repent? Are you going to wait till you find yourself in the belly of the fish? Or are you going to repent whenever God starts to prod your heart, starts to move you towards that direction? How much is it going to take for God to get us to that point where we say, yes, Lord, I am sorry for what I have done? You know, sometimes we need to just ask the Lord to look at our hearts. Tell Him we're going to pay what we have promised Him. Glorify His name. Allow Him to have that place of authority in all of our hearts. As I think about Jonah, the quote by Stonewall Jackson always comes back to my mind. Duty is ours, but consequences are God's. And he violates the area of duty. Consequences God will bring about. And he has to understand that he needs to be humble 
and usable in God's sight. So tonight, believer, is there anything in your life that would hinder you from being usable in God's sight? Is there anything that would hinder you from being in the place that God could move you as his child? Well, if there's sin in our lives, we need to confess it. Because God wants us to be clean vessels. He wants to use clean vessels. He wants vessels that are available to Him and able to be used by Him on a daily basis. And so, search our hearts. See where we're at when it comes to the things of God. Father.